0: Hello and welcome to pre I'm Sophia. Adele Garris has been published since 1976. Like me, she didn't find it easy to get a publisher at first, but she's lost count of the number of books she's written since then. We talk about writing for different age groups, being a planner, and the subjects that inspire us to write. Adele didn't want to be a writer when she was growing up. She wanted to be a star. She performed in the West End in the 1960s, and I can't think of anything cooler. Writing runs in the family. Her daughter, Sophie Hannah writes thrillers and runs her own life coaching service for writers. What an excellent idea. We recorded this episode in November 2020. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Adele, hello and welcome to Pre-Published. Thank you. Um, it's lovely to be talking to you today. Um, can you describe a little bit where, you,
1: where you're talking to me from? I'm talking to you from my study in my house in Great Shelford, which looks out onto the main road where my bin men have just emptied the bins and my lovely neighbour has just brought them to my door. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it's really lovely. It's a good place to work because when you get bored and you look up, uh, you can look out, see people walking about. Not many people. It's not a very busy main road, but... Mm. uh, no, oh, it's lovely. Beautiful day. Sun is shining. And you're near Cambridge. Yes, I am about 200 yards past the Cambridge border into South Cambridgeshire. So for anybody who knows Cambridge, I'm between Waitrose and Scottsdale's. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really lovely. Yeah. Do you get students
0: cycling by with oh, their Oh, no, 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 not
1: at all. Not at all. There are no pubs near me. Uh, to speak of and they're all about oh I'd say three miles away so uh, they're in the centre yeah so it's quite peaceful very peaceful yeah um I wanted to
0: talk to you today because um, partly because I think we have a lot in common with what we're interested in, and I want to come to that later in terms of what we like to write about. Um, but also, something we don't have in common uh, is I have written a mere eleven novels that have been published, and you've written
1: over ninety. Haven't I've written you know over a hundred. Oh <laughs> blimey! I, stopped, I thought you might say that. Well, I stopped counting at a hundred. Um, it's a bit deceptive, though, Sophia, because. An awful lot of the books in the early part of my career were very short picture books, books for very small children, uh, things that were under a thousand words, this sort of thing. So it's not exactly, you know, a hundred volumes by Tolstoy. On the (laughs) other hand, on the other hand, I have written very many books uh, for teenagers and seven, is it now, novels for, yeah, this is my seventh novel for adults, this new one Mm. and it's partly because, I mean, the main reason for it is because I'm very old. Uh, I've been doing it since 1976, so... You know, I've had a You've been a, doing it for a, a while. Lot. I mean,
0: can I just say, very old. I mean, you know, this is a woman who has, who has mastered the tech of audacity in about five minutes. So clearly... Well, I do know about got that. got everything in working order. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. I
0: hope um, so, yeah. So, you, yeah, you've written for all ages, which I find really interesting. Is that something you always intended to do? I mean, it's not often I talk to somebody who's written picture books,
1: young well, adult novels, adult novels. I basically... There's no kind of intention uh, at all, really. I mean, I started out almost by accident. Uh, I went in for a competition in The Times, which I didn't so win. So did I. Okay. <laughs> I didn't win mine. Um, right. But I really enjoyed writing the story, and I thought, right, this is easy. You know, you can lie on the sofa and do it. Uh, it's terrific. Um, and it took me about, I suppose, two years or so after that deluging editors uh, with manuscripts for picture books and this sort of thing. But after about two years, um, I wrote a... a, They used to call them early readers, uh, books Mm -hmm. called Gazelles, 2,000 words for about age five, just as you were beginning to learn to read. And I started off with those, and every book seemed to lead to another book. Do you know what I mean? Somebody would suggest something... Or say, why don't you try this? And I've got a very low boredom threshold. So, uh, you know, whenever I got fed up of one thing, I'd think, right, what can I do that's different? Uh, and I suppose, yeah, the teenage thing happened quite early. I mean, almost my third or fourth book was a teenage book called Voyage, which was uh, very successful in America, particularly, because it's about a boat sailing over from Europe to America at the turn of the century, bringing mm-hmm. refugees from Eastern Europe, um, fleeing persecution. And after that, I don't know, one thing kind of leads to another, uh, you know. Uh, so after that, I wrote another couple of teenage books. And- I'm interested
0: in that because you were writing them before what we call YA. Oh, long a before. In the UK, long before. Oh, yeah. And- I mean I, I, and my friends um, who who write YA now say that they the YA that they grew up on when they were reading in the seventies was um, was American often because it like the baby Sisters club and, and that
1: kind of thing. Because that there was more of, of it, I think, for well, there was, in America. There was, but ages. on the other hand on the other hand, when I started in nineteen seventy six there were a whole lot around sort of my generation, what I call the golden oldies. Jane Gardham was writing, Penelope Lively was writing, Jill Payton Walsh was writing, um, you know, Nina Borden. There were an awful lot of books written, which are now kind of general books rather than teenage books, you know. Yes. Uh, Jane Gardham is, is the main case in point. She wrote a marvellous teenage novel called Bilgewater. Right. Which is now published. Oh, she's marvellous. She's absolutely marvellous. Yeah. Uh, a very long way from Verona, Bilgewater. Bilgewater is now published on the adult lists. So we were around, but the sort of phenomenon of YA wasn't particularly yes. around. This is this yeah. is the thing.
0: Yeah. I've always thought that. The books are always there. It's just the marketing
1: that changes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I read, I read, for example, books like uh, How to Capture the Castle and this sort yes. of thing. Uh, yes. Books from the 40s. But um, no, it's always been there. I mean, the main thing is it's it's books which have a young protagonist, you know, exactly. a, a, a young male, a male character. Yeah.
0: I agree. It's interesting because, of course, I've I've moved from writing YA to writing crime. Yes. And, you know, sometimes I'll describe, which, of course, you, you've read my book very kindly, oh, and you yes. know, I'll, I'll describe to people what it's about. You know, it's about the Queen, age 90, solving crimes. And, and they will say to me, is it a YA novel? And I'll think, no. No, the protagonist <laughs> no. is 90. By definition, it is not. No.
1: Oh, I thought um, that was such also, a yes, lovely idea. It contains idea. many
0: themes that I wouldn't be allowed to write for teens, I think.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, although, actually... although you do know, don't you? I, When I was going around schools, which I don't do anymore, I used to say to people, which is true, teenagers, young adults, are not the ones reading the young adult books very it's true. The, it's awesome. the 10 yeah. year olds who are looking to see how you do it sort of thing. Uh, the, the 14, 15 year olds, if they're readers, are reading adult books.
0: Yes. And often, actually, a lot of YA readers are 22 year olds trying to recapture their youth. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's quite a yeah. sort of
0: wide spectrum. And yeah. and I also think that they they're capable of, I mean, I think they self edit a lot, but, but most of them have much broader understanding of the world than than publishers sort of let them worry about but I don't blame publishers for that because they're always worried I think about what gatekeepers are going to say but I, I, I mean it leads me to one of my questions which is do you do you write differently consciously when you're writing for children rather than adults
1: no no not at all I mean it's like um I always say it's a bit like acting you know it's a bit like performance art so that if you're writing a book about well Let's say the Queen, right, uh, a 94-year-old woman. You are acting a 94-year-old woman. If in your mm. next book you're required to be a, you know, a pixie or a squirrel or a, you know, a four-year-old child, you you put on the clothes and the and the character of that person. So you're you're sort of looking out at the story with different eyes, depending on, you know, whose eyes you choose to tell the story from. Um, so, no, Even... I, don't, I don't find it that at all hard. I mean, I, it's true that if you get out of the habit of writing for children, I mean, I haven't written for children for a good few years, it might take a bit of time to, to sort of re-inhabit that space. But, uh, you know, I could do it, just the same as Judy Dench you know, if she was required to play a young woman, she would she would do her best. <laughs> she would <laughs> she'd do it
0: really well. She would. I mean, there are I think there are a lot of craft things that are are different. I found going from one to the other. So, point of view, I, I yes. can move around a lot more. I find yes. with it, with an adult book, and a, and it tends to be longer, not necessarily, yes. but it tends yes. to be absolutely. Um, and yeah, and the themes are a bit different, and I can have more subplots. But yes. I'm interested to know whether when you're shifting gear to write up up an age or down an age whether you do all of that subconsciously or whether you think
1: about it uh both i think uh or i would do if i was going if i was going to write a children's book now i would consciously think right this is a book for 7 year olds they don't know about fuck you know, prime mortgages and that kind of thing. They're not, inter- <laughs> yeah. they're not interested in subprime mortgages. They are interested in, you know, whatever it is they like. Um, So I, that would be conscious, but unconsciously, I'm sure, I would kind of not exactly self-edit because mm. I would never sort of edit. It's It's a matter of thinking what interests your audience mainly. I think you know, so if move you off. find yourself yeah. being too abstract or too flowery or too philosophical or something like that, uh you would probably think, mm, are they going to be interested in this? Maybe I should you know step up the action, move along the pace, but okay, i would never yes. I would never censor my actual language you know yes. I'd never say, Is this word too hard for them? They can Jolly well, look it up. You know, if I want. To oh well, yes, use I, it. I love the rich vocabulary you use in
0: your in your writing for children. I mean, I I do want to talk about um one of your books, Apricots at Midnight. Oh later yeah. On but <laughs> but um we we earlier on we we mentioned that we wanted to talk about sort of plotting and planning and structure a bit in this and I'm worried that if we if we get on to subject matter then we'll, we'll never get off it right. um so I noticed that you wrote a blog last year that um I saw from your website um that mentioned plot a lot and you seem to suggest that what you need when you're reading and what we all need is a thread of suspense to yes. keep us turning the pages yes um And I'm interested to know how you set about creating that as a writer, a writer of over 100 books, so clearly you know what you're doing.
1: I have to have a plan. Uh, I have to know that the idea that I thought was so marvellous at the beginning has stepping stones that I can step along to get to the end. Yeah, um, In that stepping over the stepping stones, I need to make sure that I know, for example, when it would be a good idea to turn away from one point of view to another point of view in order to leave people thinking, oh, well, what's happening to her? You yep. know, uh, that kind of thing. And that I find I can only do if I write really quite a detailed plan. Uh, of what's going to happen when. And I think the people I think the people who don't plan, you know, the, the famous pantsers uh, who write by the seat yes. of their pants and just fly, I think what they're doing when they write their first draft is like a kind of a plan, only a longer-winded way of going about it. You know, oh, I see. You know, they'll write it out and write it out, and, you know, because people will say to you, Oh, I do ten drafts. Uh yes. I don't do ten drafts. I don't do any drafts except the first draft, which then gets edited by various other people. No, but it, really. Golly, well, that's rare, Adele. Wow. Well, no, I I do about four. <laughs> and well, that's ex- done the no, plan. but what you what you're doing, <laughs> what you're doing when you're doing your four is refining your plan.
0: Yeah, you're saying
1: okay. you're saying, Oh well, I did this, but this didn't work here. Mm. Yeah. This isn't tense here. So you're yeah. just doing it further along the line, as it were. But um, you, you managed to do the, all of that up front. Well, because I've done a very, very detailed plan. That's why. Oh,
0: I couldn't yeah. do it that way because uh, I, I've tried. And if I get the plan that detailed, I don't want to write the book. My brain just doesn't want to do it. It goes, well, I know what happens
1: now. Oh, no, no, that doesn't worry me at all. And I mean, when oh, I say yeah. I only do one draft, after that... After I've done the draft and sent it in to editors and and agents, then I do about six. (laughs) Okay. You know, uh, I I keep rewriting and rewriting and they give their feedback and I take on their feedback and Mm. then I have to adjust it all. And, you know, you sort of tear the thing apart and put it back together again. Uh, But the thing I first send out uh, is when I finish the book first time interesting
0: and and so you don't mind revisiting all those ideas that you had no
1: um oh no no because interesting things happen oh good when you start if you've got this this detailed plan and you're writing according to it there will come times when it doesn't work because of something you've written previously, so then you have to go back. I do revise the plan quite a lot uh, as I'm <laughs> yeah. going along. Obviously, you know things are going to crop up. Uh, yeah, I do as the same with mine.
0: Yeah, yes. I, I was um, talking to um, Sheena Wilkinson for this. Oh yes. um, this season, and and she was talking about. Careless rapture, which I really love. So she's a planner as well, um, yeah. but she loves those moments when the writing just takes off and, and oh, yes. does something unexpected for yes, her. Yes, so exactly.
1: Yes, and that always happens. You know, it will always surprise you when you come across something that you didn't foresee, and that you have to somehow integrate into the plan, or you'll yeah. you'll just be walking along one day and having a good idea, and you think, oh, oh, that
0: could happen. Yes. And, and then, I, I find sometimes characters will take over, and a character who's supposed to be minor will just suddenly be extremely entertaining. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And major.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: All of that. And so, how how long is the plan that you write? Is, is it a word document? It's a it, word it document.
1: No, it's a word document. And it's usually, well, the plan for my first adult novel, which is called Facing the Light, was about 15 pages long. Okay. Something yeah. like that um so yeah quite
0: detailed i'm trying to think i don't remember when i did the wins and not i mean saying that i'm i would say i'm a moderate planner um but nevertheless it was mine was probably about nine pages long come to think of it yeah. and i had i had an excel spreadsheet as well oh my god um, no i
1: don't know about those
0: <laughs> well what happened for me was uh because i was writing about the real queen as yes you know, um and I, my original plan was to be very lazy about her real life and just kind of make stuff up. Yeah. But then I quite quickly discovered that, um, you know, there's the royal circular in the Times yes. every day saying yeah. what she's up to. Well, yeah. it's online now and it's retrospective, <gasps> so I could look up. I know, I know, I was Brilliant. the same. I could look up every day that in 2016 um, when I was setting the book oh, and see exactly what she marvelous. officially did. It was oh. marvelous. And having got that, I thought, well, you know, I'll use some of it and I won't use other bits. And then yeah. I found the challenge was just too wonderful. So, you know, I'd, I'd have her doing something in my plot and then, you know, the, the court circular would say, well, she didn't do that, she did something else. And I would think, well, I, I'm going to make, I'm going to make, I'm gonna somehow fit that in. And, and I, in the end, I don't think I, I moved anything from her real life. Oh, it was that's really, wonderful. really enjoyable to that's fit things around it. But it took a spreadsheet. Yes. Uh, so that's why. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, marvellous. That's
0: marvellous. Um, So, I, as I said, I, I wanted to talk to you about the inspiration for the books. Um, And partly that is because, like me, you grew up travelling around the world. Yes. Um, my father was in the army
1: and yours yes. was in the colonial service, I gather. He was. He was. Yes. So where did you go? So, started off with... We left... What was then, which had just become Israel in nineteen forty-eight, wow. my okay. dad, my dad had to decide whether he was going to stay in Israel, or, as it were, be British, because he was working. Right. He was working when I was born. For, well, not when I was born, because I was born during the war. But after the war, working for the Attorney General's Office in what was then British Mandated Palestine. Yes. And in nineteen forty-eight, after Israel became a nation he had to decide what to do so he opted as it were to stay british and joined the colonial service so we went first to how did it go nigeria borneo gambia tanzania and then after he retired, he he went on contract to Botswana. By which time I was already grown up and married. So this was over many years. Um, so I grew up in Nigeria full time, Borneo full time. When we when he went to the Gambia, I was already at school, and so I just used to go out during the summer holidays. Um, so you were at boarding school back in England. I was at boarding school back in England. Yeah, uh, and contrary to. Everybody else's experience. I had a fabulous time and loved it. Um, and so, yes, that was that was a, a very sort of peripatetic childhood.
0: Um, and did it did it uh, inform your reading and your desire to be a writer?
1: Because it no. did. oh worked. no, no, not at all. No, I was going to be a star. I never had right. any ambition to be a writer whatsoever. Uh, I mean I loved English I loved writing I loved reading but I was going to be I was going to be Judy Garland you know I was going to sing and dance and perform and yeah be a star basically um, but that didn't work out. So what happened because that well, is such a lovely what ambition happened, to have. What happened was when I went to Oxford Uh, I spent most of my time on stage. I was in two productions that went to the West End. So everything was going. What were they, Adele? Well, in 1964, I was in a thing called Hang Down Your Head and Die, which was an anti-capital punishment review, which played at the Comedy Theatre in London during one Easter vacation. And was a huge success. I mean, we we thought we thought we had actually <laughs> managed to influence people to abolish capital punishment. and I think okay, well, it's worth we might have done. It. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that was in '64. In '66, just as I was doing my finals, and after my finals, I was in a show called Four Degrees Over. Me and three other men: Bob Scott, John Gould, and David Wood. And we went to the Fortune Theatre with a show called Four Degrees Over, which was fabulous. It was a a musical review, but unfortunately (laughs) it folded (laughs) just after sort of December. We opened in the summer, we folded in December. And then I was an out-of-work actress uh, and couldn't get a job anywhere. And then I got married and moved to Manchester in 67. Mm -hmm. And nobody wanted to employ me as a singer or an actress or anything. So I became a teacher. That's what you do. That's what stars do when they can't become stars. They become teachers because it's the same skill set, you know. You have to keep the punters happy and make sure they're not throwing eggs and tomatoes at you and asking for their money back. (laughs) Um, And then I left to have Sophie, my first baby. And saw this competition in the Times uh, and thought, gosh, this is easier than teaching. <laughs> Just, I see. And it started out like that, entirely by accident. Yeah. And so that was around 1976, did you say that your first book? My came first out? book came out in 76. Sophie was born in 71, and I first sent in the Times competition was about 1973. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and I, I gather that Apricots at Midnight, which I'm just holding up now, even
0: though we're on the radio or well, you know on a podcast, yeah. nobody can see, but it's it's Apricots at Midnight, and I think it came out in 1977. Is that That's right. right. That's right. Um, and I was 11 then. It was the Silver Jubilee year. Yes. Um, I would have adored this book. Um, it's about a patchwork quilt. It's about the stories behind each of the um. Uh, of the sort of hexagons of patchwork. This is what I was doing, by the way. You know, when I wasn't... uh, I was going to say, when I wasn't working, I was sewing, but it's not true. When I was studying, I was sewing and I, I could... If I looked at a piece of sewing I'd done, I could remember what radio play I was yes. listening to or what, yes. what essay I was trying to write. And vice versa, I still can, actually. So it, it was very meditative. Um, yeah. And to have a, a children's story based around sewing with so much kind of adventure in it, I would have just loved. But sadly, nobody gave me Apricots at Midnight. <laughs> but they they did give me a book called The Queen's Clothes. Oh, yes. about the Queen's relationship with Norman Hartnell and yeah, how... Yeah how he designed for her. And that's right. and that's how I got to the Queen, who, of course, I'm going to write about, hopefully, for the next 20 years. Yes, um, absolutely. Through her wardrobe and yeah. Through, yeah. through the detail of, of thinking about her skirts having to be weighted so yeah. that they didn't fly up in the breeze and the colours she could and couldn't wear and how yeah. fashionable yeah. she could and couldn't be. Yeah, And I know you get this because you write about dressmaking quite a lot.
1: Well, now, this, this is fascinating. I am absolutely obsessed with patchwork, Uh, embroidery, you know, any kind of needlework, right? And I am absolutely useless. (laughs) I cannot tell you how bad. I mean, I can just about, I can sew on a button that's fallen off and that's it. I mean, I give my jeans to be turned up to a, a professional shop. I literally cannot sew. But I love, I love the kind of, the metaphor of patchwork. Yeah. And Apricots at Midnight is one of my favourite books. I, I, I just adore it. And it's funny that I've now, sort of, at this advanced stage, come full circle and started writing a book. <laughs> well, I've written uh, a book about a famous, uh, a famous patchwork again.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm so looking forward to reading that, and it's coming out in 2021, isn't it? It
1: is. There should be. There should be a copy landing on you any minute now. I've had several tweeting oh, people. Oh, it's soon, is it? Oh, wonderful. Okay, I'm proof, looking forward to that. <laughs> the proof should arrive any yes. minute. Yeah.
0: Great. Um. Now, I don't normally let people puff their books on this because we're talking about craft. We are, but because your book. Is about craft. I'm going to let you tell me what it's about. (laughs) So, this is you're you're Hope
1: Adams for this book. I'm Hope Adams for this book. And the reason I'm Hope Adams is twofold. One, because I wanted to submit it um, anonymously to agent and publisher, because I I had Mm. a new agent. Um, I was looking for a new agent. I wanted somebody to take me on. I didn't want them to know my publishing history. I wanted them just to you know take it blind. I didn't want them to yeah. see a sort of uh, a seventy six year old ex writer <laughs> so, so yeah. i call I called myself hope because I was hopeful mm. and I called myself Adams because for the last when did I marry nineteen sixty seven ever since i'm married, i've had to tell people how to say garris uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> which <laughs> I don't mind. I like being a letter G. But I thought, no, I'll get a letter A and go up the alphabet <laughs> even further. And so I was Hope Adams. And this book, uh, Dangerous Women, has taken me 10 years, yeah, 11 years to get to to fruition. I saw mm-hmm. the quilt that it's about in 2009 at the Victoria and Albert Exhibition of Quilts. Uh, and it's called The Raja Quilt, and it is absolutely sensational. And I thought, I've got to write about this, and I did. So that's coming out in March. And it was sewn by, by prisoners, is that right? Convicts going out to Van Diemen's land. They went out uh, under the under the matronship of a young woman called Kaziah Hater, who was a niece of the hater who painted the portrait, the coronation portrait of Queen Victoria. They mm-hmm. were court painters. And she, it's thought that she designed the sort of middle bit of the quilt and then all the convicts, you know, she oversaw the making of this amazing thing uh, on the voyage out. So I won't tell you any more because it'll spoil the story. But uh, it's fascinating, yep. Absolutely. It'll
0: it'll work very well with what I'm listening to at the moment. I'm listening to Tracy Chevalier's
1: A yes. single thread. Yes, exactly, like that.
0: Yeah, and and I'm really I, I, I'm about I think about a quarter of the way in, and it's I'm so enjoying good. it. Yes, it's, it's lovely. It's about in a way about the way that needlework can bring women together Absolutely. and give them a sense of purpose. Yes, and all I, of that. My my last book, I mean, it's and also it's set in round Winchester Cathedral, which fascinates me. Yeah, but my my last book was uh, called The Bigger Picture, and and it was about women artists, and one of the things that I really wanted to make clear is that women have been artists for millennia yes um, but but usually um in in crafts that have been sidelined not so much by the islamic world which fascinates me but certainly by the western world um yeah. and actually china uh you know pays yes and due homage as well yes yes but uh, yeah but women have made art through needlework for oh,
1: as long that, as it's been as long
0: yeah yeah. And through absolutely. through textile creation. Yeah. So um yes, it really kind of gets me to my core, <laughs> particularly yep. as a feminist. Yeah. Uh whenever I read about it. So I'd lovely having Tracy Chevalier in your book back to back. I'm yep. looking forward to that. Thank um you. But you you write about other things too, don't you? I mean you you're you've written a lot about loss and and war
1: and And grief and family secrets. Family secrets, yes. I I like families. I like, I I tell you what I really like because I'm an only child. I like stories ever since I read Little Women, which is I think my favourite children's book. Um, I like stories where there are lots of sisters together. Yes, and I so wrote do one. I, and yeah. I'm
0: an only daughter. I have, a, I have a, my brother who produces this podcast. But <laughs> yeah, just the two of us. I love books about sisters,
1: sisters, and so my first book after Apricots at Midnight, the first book was called The Girls in the Velvet Frame, which was <laughs> yeah. based on a picture of my mother and her five sisters, four sisters. And there were five mm-hmm. of them in the photo. Um, and I I just like family stories because I think families are the site of huge dramas. So when I came to write my first adult book, that was a family story as well, and about a woman artist as well. So uh, yeah,
0: it's uh, so interesting you say that. Um, your daughter Sophie, who you've mentioned, your yes. Your, um... Uh, is of course a writer herself, absolutely, and, um, quite a famous one, yes. uh, Sophie Hannah, and she's writing the Poirot novels now, isn't she? She is, other things, yes, yeah. Um, for the uh, for the Christie estate, and I'm just interested yeah. to know: did, did would she say that she gets the writing bug from you, or did she get it despite being surrounded by literature when she was growing up? I
1: don't know. i mean she. She got the Agatha Christie bug because she started reading them. You know, she. I think her, her father brought her um, one of them. He used to. He used to buy. He used to collect second-hand cricket books. by my late husband, and he bought so mm-hmm. for Agatha Christie, and she was just hooked, and she became a sort of Agatha Christie completist by the time right. she was about thirteen. Uh, whether she gets the bug from me, I don't know. But what it does do, what having a parent who's a writer does do, is make the idea of writing a book seem quite unremarkable you know yes, your I agree. dad is a butcher your dad is a engine driver your dad is a digger and your mother writes books and you know it's just routine everybody yeah, in our house do. Yeah, yeah exactly and
0: it, it can be done and it's quite hard work but you get a book at the end of it <laughs> exactly
1: exactly yeah so uh you know she she um I do think genes play a part in this. I mean, I, I do think it's true that, you know, if you are good at, let's say, music, uh, it's likely that your children might be too. I mean, they might not, but the likelihood is there. I think.
0: Yeah, I'm always interested as to yes, how much it's genetic and how much it is just being yes, surrounded exactly. by it. Yes, exactly. You
1: never know that. Two. Yeah, you never know.
0: Yeah. Um, and and do you do you talk
1: about it with each other, or do you? Is, do you oh, just constantly. Kind of avoid it? Yes, oh do. no, constantly. Well Sophie's got this she's got this wonderful um she's set up a I don't know what to call it, a company. And it's called dreamauthor.com. Right. Yes. And that she's got about Well, a hell of a lot of people. And basically what it is, it's life coaching for writers. So it won't tell you how to write a novel. There are an awful lot of courses that will tell you, you know, creative writing courses Mm. that will tell you how to write a novel. She doesn't do any of that. What she does is she talks about the problems which every single writer from the least successful to the most successful has. And how to deal with those, rejection, dealing with horrible agents, things that your publishers do, feelings of doubt, how to plan, you know, how to sort of organise yourself, all that kind of thing. Uh, and so she's doing a lot of that. Uh, and I joined. I joined as Hope Adams because I wanted the benefit of her uh, of her wisdom. And she's, she's very, oh, fantastic. very wise. I was joined yeah. too. That sounds absolutely great. She's fantastic. Look up Dream Author com I yep. will yep. I mean I think one
0: where I get that from at the moment is is author friends and yes. and I do yes. say to students uh, you know if you're doing a writing course probably the biggest thing you'll get from that course is the friendship of the people you do it yes. with, even beyond yes. anything you learn from it absolutely. and the support
1: and the, the shoulders
0: to cry on when yes. you need them which yep. you will absolutely
1: absolutely so Sophie does webinars and zoom seminars and it's international, you know. She has. She also has, uh, before lockdown in December last year, uh, a writing retreat where, mm-hmm. you know, about 20 of us went off for a weekend. Uh, it was wonderful. It was really I'm very good. jealous. That sounds yeah. like a wonderful thing. No, no, it's really good. Do look it up. Do look it I up. will,
0: yes. I mean, in lockdown, I do have those kind of dreams of going off and and writing with other people, yes. Yeah. In in glamorous locations and exactly. doing a bit of yoga in the mornings and eating <laughs> vegan food and oh, yes, it would be wonderful. Um Well, um I think we've neared the end of our, our conversation and I have so enjoyed it. So thank it's you for been that. Lovely.
1: It's been really but, lovely. And I, I must tell you, I do think your idea for the winds Knot not and and just that notion of the queen solving crimes. It could have been so flat-footed and awful and you have pulled it off so magnificently. It's ah, just wonderful. Much. It's wonderful. <laughs> Can't wait for the next one now. Oh, well, thank you. Well, I, yeah. I'm writing three
0: now, so you know, see if I can keep it going. Very
1: good, very
0: good. Um, and before we go, I'm um, I always ask people for writing tips. So if you've got one or two that you would always pass on to fellow writers, what would they be?
1: Ooh. Read everything aloud. Love that that's one. That's the first thing, because you, mm-hmm. you never know when you're doing sort of repetitions. Don't be afraid to cut, because it's usually a good idea. Mm-hmm. And what else should I say? Read is the main one.
0: The main yeah. one is
1: read other people, but that's the real writing tip. It's just you'd be amazed how many people think they can write a novel when they've never actually read a novel, uh, you know, or a poem when they've never actually read a poem. <laughs> so yes. wide, wide reading. Quite a few, is, uh...
0: <laughs> yeah. Some in- interesting writers at the moment talking about the fact that the modern novel is dead, but they don't read any. And yeah, it's it's an interesting That's... combination of opinions. Excuse
1: the expression, bobbins. Absolute <laughs>
0: bobbins. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you, Adele. I've really enjoyed this morning and um, it's been so kind of you to be on the podcast.
1: Thanks a lot. I hope I can manage to do the rest of the tech now. <laughs> <laughs> Off we go. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: I'd like to thank Christopher Pett for editing and producing this episode of Prepublished. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. You can also join us on Twitter at PrePubPodcast and find me at my children's books website, which is sophiabennett.com or my adult crime series website, which is sjbennettbooks.com.